Good evening, everyone. Welcome to our first asynchronous class for Kinsert 638, Feminine Topics in APE. So we're going to get started today. Uh, for your asynchronous components, we're going to do a quick lecture on what is a highly qualified APE teacher. And we'll talk about a couple different challenges and issues that we may face uh, in the field of APE. Hopefully you've completed your reaction paper and done the two readings for this week. So we will move it along. So today we're gonna to cover what does it look like to be an effective teacher in physical education compared to adapted physical education because it can look a little different. So thinking about what it means to be an effective teacher, uh, we've got a list of different things from NASPE. So an effective teacher will provide evidence of teaching and learning in your physical education class, provide evidence of efficient program management, provide evidence of professional development, assess your students in accordance with curricular objectives and PE standards, and share those results with your building principal and parents engage in the school community, and to be the physical activity champion in your school. So then looking at what does it look like to be highly qualified in adapted PE? So we really wanna take into consideration that content knowledge for highly qualified APE teachers. So the minimum um, requirements would be that Everyone has at least 12 semester hours or credits addressing the needs of children with disabilities specifically. Um, and that could include disability studies, some kind of motor assessment for individuals with disabilities, information on report writing, special ed law, developing IEPs, individual teaching and learning styles, adaptations and modifications for physical education, behavior management, collaboration and consultation, advocacy, inclusion practices, community and family resources, professional leadership, and assistive technology. So not sure if you're aware, but we do have a national certification um, called APENS. It's the Adapted Physical Education National Standards. Through APENS, there are 15 standards um, that cover different content to help you and help us make sure that you are a highly qualified adapted PE teacher. Uh, some of you will be, you'll all be qualified to take the APENS exam if you so choose, so that you'd be a nationally certified APE teacher. Of course, in the state of California, that's not required, uh, but it is a nice little thing to add on. Both Dr. Bittner and I are APENS certified or CAPE certified, and all our graduate scholars will also take the APENS exam to also become CAPE certified. So in your reaction paper, if you chose to do the reaction paper where you're interviewing an APE teacher, hopefully you can kind of think through and compare some of your interview questions and answers to topics that we're talking about today. So again, what we're covering is what is an effective APE teacher. So we think through first starting with IDEA, the Individuals with Disabilities in Education Improvement Act that came about in 2004. So the good news is physical education remains in the definition of special education. So remember, think through what is that definition? What does it all entail? Uh, and just know that we as physical educators are a part of that special education definition. The bad news is that there's not a definition of what it means to be an effective PE teacher or an effective APE teacher and what appropriate APE teacher preparation programs look like. So we think about what are the minimum standards for teachers, so GPE teachers. U.S. Department of Ed requires that at minimum, highly qualified teachers have a four-year college degree, a full state teaching license, and demonstrated knowledge of the subject they are teaching. That's that subject matter competency, either by having a college major in that subject or passing an examination. 
Then we look at the minimum standards to be an APE teacher. So not sure if you know this, but California is one of the few states that require additional licensures to teach adapted physical education. So here our minimum standards would include that state license and a bachelor's degree to teach PE. 12 semester credit hours specifically addressing the educational needs of students with disabilities with a minimum of nine semester hours specific to the area of APE, a minimum of 150 hours of practicum experiences, and then professional preparation programs must be based on the standards, either the state or the national standards for APE. So there are tons of different uh, lawsuits that have kind of helped shape what and why and how we do things in our world of APE. So here's an example of one of them. So Andrew F. and Dimimus. So Andrew F., and this was from 2017, was a fifth grade student with autism who was placed in a private school because his parents believed that his public school education was inadequate. He wasn't progressing, and his parents put him in a private school for children with autism. They then schooled, uh, sued the public school district for the costs associated with the private school. So remember, we have to think about what is FAPE, a free, appropriate public education. So how do we know what is appropriate, right? Uh, it depends on the students, of course, and their needs. So when their parents took this to court, there was a unanimous Supreme Court decision that rejected the school district's de minimis standards. So the Supreme Court said, your minimum standards are not good enough, so you have to pay for the private school so that this student can get an appropriate education. So again, the court ruled that the student must make appropriate progress. But then we also have to think, how do we ensure that a student is making appropriate progress? Uh, Brad Wiener has a great little goal tracking device or information that you can click on that link to access that for more information. I don't want this information to scare you, but I want you to know that you have to track progress and you have to be part of that IEP team that helps determine what is appropriate for each one of your students on your caseload. So we think about APE teachers and the many different hats that we wear, right? So you go from teaching, like actual day-to-day -day instruction. You've got assessments, formal and informal. You've got paperwork. Lord knows you've got paperwork when you're writing, uh, when you go to IEPs, you write the reports, learn about technology. You are an itinerant teacher so that you travel among schools most of the time. You uh, have some collaboration and consultation efforts where you're communicating with other professionals, parents, paraprofessionals, peer tutors, um, and you might have everything on your caseload that is more than the time that you have. So a lot of times you might be bringing work home where you've got to kind of figure out how to manage your time so that you're getting everything done that you need to do. Story of a teacher's life, right? Uh, and then also your role could be advocacy. So you want to promote disability awareness. You want to promote acceptance for your students, inclusion when appropriate. So then we think of what is a highly qualified APE teacher. Uh, Drs. Lytle, LaVey, and Rizzo in 2010 put out this list of things that APE teachers should know. So to be an, a an effective APE teacher, you need to have PE subject matter content knowledge. So the content knowledge of what you're supposed to be teaching. You need information on disability study. So if you've got a student that's diagnosed with Creta Shaw, what does that mean? What are the contraindications? How is that student gonna move? Um, you definitely need to know about assessments, special ed law and IEPs, teaching and learning styles, behavior management, that's a big one, accommodations and modifications, collaboration, consultation, advocacy and legislation, technology, community and family resources, and professional leadership and growth. So we're gonna go through all of those and kind of break down what it looks like to be an effective APE teacher. So the first one is PE subject matter content knowledge. For this, we wanna see training, 
that includes some kind of PE knowledge, and that could relate to our national standards or our California state standards. And remember that definition of physical education is physical and motor fitness, fundamental motor skills and patterns, and skills in aquatics, dance, individual group games and sports, including intramurals and lifetime sports. So there are a lot of different things that you need to know so that you can teach those things the right way. We also, of course, in California have our PE subject matter um, standards. So we've got uh, content standards that tell us everything that we're supposed to be teaching at every different grade level. So the California Ed Code requires physical education for first through sixth grade. And at that point, we're looking at a minimum of 200 minutes every 10 days. And key thing to highlight here is that it excludes recess. At the secondary level, we're looking for 400 minutes every 10 days. And it has to be taught by a credentialed teacher, not a paraeducator or aid. There are tons, actually not tons, there are some lawsuits that kind of gained popularity because parents brought this issue to, to everyone's attention. That especially at the elementary school, especially in the state of California, kids are not getting quality physical education, let alone meeting those minimum 200 minutes every 10 days. Most of the time in the state of California, elementary classroom teachers are providing physical education. And this can be an issue because let's think about, are they highly qualified? No, they're really not. They take one class at the college level about PE and then somehow are required to fit that into their schedule of everything else that they're supposed to be doing in their school day. So the lawsuits, you can click on this link to read a little bit more. Parents said that their students or their children were not getting those minutes. And so after that, um, that lawsuit came about, schools started uh, either requiring teachers to report their minutes or have some kind of way to collect data to say that you know the, the teachers are doing what they're supposed to be doing. So when we think about teaching physical education, there are a bunch of different teaching philosophies and different approaches that exist. It is not my job to tell you what to believe, but I'm going to share my personal philosophy and you can think about what that might look like for you. So we've got um, one approach would be the bottom up approach or the developmental approach. So if you look at this triangle on the bottom, we see we're teaching first body management. And once we've got that under control, then we can get into those fundamental motor skills. Then we can combine those fundamental motor skills into lead up games and sports. And then we get into lifetime skills of sports and leisure. So we have to be really conscious of what we're teaching when and what is developmentally appropriate for our students. So that's the bottom up approach. Then we've got the top-down approach or the functional approach. And for this one, they're focusing on meeting desired goals and or learning outcomes that are age-appropriate skills and socially significant to each individual that occur in their natural environment. So think about those activities of daily living. Um, so activities of daily living, we're thinking about walking up and down stairs, uh, standing up or sitting down, you know, stepping off of a curb, um, we want to teach. So one example might be teaching an individual to balance up and down off of bleachers, off of a curb to take the bus rather than a balance beam. At our older levels, when we think about those secondary students, we want to think about what is developmentally appropriate and also appropriate for their activities of daily living. So like this example says, Instead of having our students work on balance skills by walking on a balance beam, that's not very easily generalizable to other settings. So let's practice walking, you know, up and down off bleachers or stepping on the curve to see if they can step up or down or taking them somewhere in the school that has stairs and practice walking up and down stairs. 
for this top-down approach. We want it to be safe, successful, eclectic, have that social interaction that's appropriate for our students with their functional goals. And again, thinking about what the child needs. Then I want you to think about physical activity across the lifespan. So consider what you're teaching when you're teaching it and how it relates to our students with and without disabilities. So for our kiddos without disabilities at that elementary age, we wanna focus on locomotor skills, non-locomotor skills, object control skills, movement concepts, rhythm and dance, aquatics, fitness, and leisure. That's what's appropriate for our elementary age students. So we might take time to practice skipping and galloping and jumping and throwing all of those things because that's developmentally appropriate. Now ask yourself this, are you going to have a goal of hopping for one of your transition age students that is 18 years old? Is that developmentally appropriate? Maybe. Is it functional? Are they going to need to know how to hop or skip to be able to live an active life? Maybe yes, maybe no. That's up to you. So again, we want to think about that goal of physical education. Remember, as APE teachers, we are teaching physical education. We have standards that we need to be addressing when we're providing our PE minutes. We can't only teach to our students' IEPs. Just because our student has a throwing and a jumping goal does not mean that that's the only thing that we're teaching in APE. So again, we want to think about that goal of physical education is to develop physically literate individuals who have the knowledge, skills, and confidence to enjoy a lifetime of healthful physical activity. That is our goal for all students. We have to remember this idea of physical literacy. So in order for our students to be physically literate, they have to have the skills. That's a big one. They have to have the motivation the knowledge, and the confidence. So again, we're putting ourselves separate from just physical activity. We're really honing in on that physical education piece where we want to be teaching our students all of these things to help them become physically literate individuals that want to move for a lifetime. When we're considering what we're teaching, we also have to remember Bloom's taxonomy. So we want to teach to the cognitive domain, the affective domain, and the psychomotor domain. A lot of times in APE, we are stuck on that psychomotor domain and we're only working on the skills. But we really have to take into consideration also that affective domain and the cognitive domain. So we want to make sure that we're teaching to a well-rounded, whole child idea. I really like this graphic because it kind of helps us to see and understand where we've come from in physical education and where we should be going. So consider PE in the 1800s when we first started. We talked a little bit about history before. So in the 1800s, students in physical education were being taught physical education to be fit for work. So helping those students understand what they needed to do physically to be fit for work. Then in the 1900s, we're teaching students to survive, to be fit for war, because that's what was happening at the time. Then we get into the 2000s and we shift our focus to helping students become fit for sport with the idea of winning and competition kind of on a pedestal. And then we get to where we are now and where we should be, in my opinion, as my philosophy stands, I think that right now we should be teaching students to be fit and healthy for life. We want to focus on wellness and encourage well-being, physical literacy, social connection, helping our students find joy in and through movement. So we should redefine what it means to be a physically literate individual. And that can happen and should be happening in physical education. So when you think about PE, a lot of times we've got this negative connotation as to what physical education is. And we are part of that 
in adapted PE. So it's our job to kind of shift that narrative and help people understand that in PE and adapted PE, we want all of these things. We want our students to have fun. We want them to move. We want them to enjoy, work together, learn about their bones and muscles, play with really fun, different types of equipment. Think about nutrition and health and wellness. Um, find joy, do some of those sports skills, think about that cognitive side, dance, move, be a part of a team, get some sunshine in. Um, so thinking about physical education for all and how we can address all of these things that are in our content standards into our classes. Then we have to think about how are we gonna teach this? And universal design should come to mind. So the universal design for learning is not one, one size fits all. It's alternatives for everyone, okay? It's not added on later, it's designed from the beginning. And it's not access for some, it's access for everyone. So we wanna make sure that our classes, our services are accessible for everyone. And that when we make our lesson plans and when we decide what we're going to be teaching, we need to design our lesson with everyone in mind from the beginning. Differentiation is when students are all learning similar content, but strategy selection is based on student learning styles and needs. So we're going to have to do a lot of differentiation in our classes, especially when we have uh, classes or services with multiple students at a time. Then we think about teaching styles. So how are we going to teach this information? We can look at those reproductive teaching styles and those productive teaching styles. So Mostyn and Ashworth came up with this wonderful list of how we can teach our students using these different teaching styles. And remember, it's not just, you know, one, uh, one size fits all again kind of thing. We wanna be using multiple teaching styles so that we're addressing all of our students' needs. So in that reproductive, uh, side or column, we're looking at command style teaching, which doesn't really happen very much. Um, practice, reciprocal, self-check, and self-selection. Then on that productive side, more student-centered, we're looking at guided discovery, problem-solving, uh, individual programs to kind of help figure out what we should be teaching and how we're doing that. Then we think about disability studies. So a couple Full weeks ago, who knows, whenever it was, we talked about the 14 different disability categories that are under IDEA. So think about it for a second. Can you name them? See if you can come, how many can you come up with? Here they are. Uh, there are 14 different categories. Again, this one, the developmental delay is like the, the 14th one that is sometimes recognized, but not exactly in the law yet. But we've got autism, deaf blindness, deafness, developmental delay, emotional disturbance, hearing impairment, intellectual disability, multiple disabilities, orthopedic impairment, other health impairment, specific learning disability, speech and language impairment, traumatic brain injury, and visual impairment, including blindness. So a student has to have one of these disabilities or fall under one of these categories to receive services for special education. And that includes adapted PE, because remember, adapted PE falls under special education law. So obviously there are millions of different disabilities that are out there and we're not expecting you to know all of them, but we want you to be able to know a little bit about a lot of them and then know where to find information when you do get that student that has that diagnosis that maybe you've never heard of or maybe you haven't dealt with. So um, on Beachboard on Canvas, there are some disability fact sheets that might be really um, helpful for you to look at. But with that, think through contraindications. So when you're planning your lesson and you decide that you're going to do a gymnastics unit for your elementary students. Is gymnastics going to be contraindicated for any of your students? You might have a student that has Down syndrome that might have atlantoaxial instability. And for them, the idea or the, the concept of gymnastics is going to be very dangerous for them and they might not be able to participate in that activity. So you've got to know these things. 
And this, again, is not something that, you know, you should just be able to pull out of thin air, but you should be able to go into your IEP and see, are there any restrictions or notes that you need to know about to make sure that you're providing your instruction safely for your students? So think through um, different resources. How are you going to find this accurate information? A great place to start would be disability organizations. So if you've got a student that maybe has Prater Willies, then maybe you can go to a website like PraterWillies.org or Families of Prater Willies, whatever it is. Those disability organizations are going to have some really solid information for you that will help you in your planning and preparation for that student. You can also look up different sport organizations. That's helpful as well. What you don't want to do is look at Wikipedia, okay? Just don't do it. So then we have to think about what do these students need to be successful in whatever environment they are learning in? So we think about accommodations and modification. Accommodations are instructional strategies or learning environments that are adapted or adjusted for a student with a disability and do not fundamentally alter the standard or the expectation of the general program, okay? So an, an accommodation example could include teaching using stations or cooperative games. Maybe you're gonna use a tether to run the pacer test, or maybe you use a different color softball. Then we think about modifications. Modifications will alter or change, usually lower the standard, and need only to be used after those adaptations or accommodations have been considered and determined ineffective. For this, an example might uh, include if students are required to run the mile for the fitness gram, if there's a student with a disability that cannot run the mile for whatever reason, maybe they do a certain number of laps with the 15 meter pacer instead um, as part of the Brockport fitness test. Here's another example. So accommodations and modifications. On the top, we see a student who is jumping over a 12-inch hurdle, and the hurdle bar across is made of foam. And then the picture on the bottom has a younger student who is hurdling over a much smaller hurdle that's on the grass. It's probably about three inches. So we think about which one is which. The top one is going to be an accommodation because if our criteria is to hurdle over a 12-inch hurdle, that student is able to do it. The accommodation is a foam bar across the top instead of, let's say, a wooden bar or something that is um, something harder. So this particular student has ADHD and really has a hard time sometimes just running through the hurdles and not jumping over the hurdles. So when we use foam, uh, it's a lot safer for that student. They're still meeting the criteria of jumping over a 12 inch hurdle, but it is accommodated. Now the student on the bottom who is run, uh, jumping over the smaller hurdle, okay, same idea, similar concept of jumping over the hurdle, but uh, it's different because the hurdle is not 12 inches, right? So we've lowered that standard. So it's similar, but not exactly the same. We also have to remember the six S's for modifications. So again, remember when we're modifying something, we're providing extra support by adapting activities to meet a similar criteria. So to do this, we can consider changing or modifying the size. Okay, so, you know, one size does not fit all. Maybe if you're doing a volleyball type unit, you can use a, a beach ball instead of a, a volleyball. So we want to make something bigger, or maybe we increase the size of the bat or the net. Then we've got sound. So maybe we're going to include beepers or bells or wrap a ball in plastic bag, use a metronome, something to provide that extra support um, auditorily. Then we've got support. Maybe we're providing extra support, like suspending a ball from a rope or using a T if we're working on striking. We can also modify the surface. So the surface of the equipment that we have, we might add texture like Velcro or string. Uh, we might add color. We might add lights um, to our space, to our equipment, whatever it is. 
we could also modify the speed. So a lot of times we want to slow things down for our kiddos with disabilities. So maybe we're going to use scarf, balloon, beach ball, a lightweight or a deflated ball. This will help um, in hopefully our students have a little bit more success. And then finally, we can use switches. So a switch is a method of activating equipment with less force than is normally needed. So a switch could be activated by a foot, a head, a mouth, or potentially a wheelchair. So that switch is gonna be connected to something that makes something happen. So maybe there is a switch that when you push it, the ball rolls down a ramp. Here are some pictures. So this is a, a switch for like a little throwing activity or target. Um, here's another switch right here that's hand activated to pull and then release the basketball into the hoop. Uh, here's a great little Calvin and Hobbes picture. So in the first picture, you see Calvin is holding a baseball bat and tossing the ball in the air. And the next slide sees Calvin swinging and missing. The ball hits the ground. Then Calvin starts walking away. And when he comes back, he tries it again with a beach ball. So this would be an example of a modification. Cool thing about this uh, image is that Calvin is self-advocating. So that's something really important that we should be teaching our students to help them kind of understand what do I need to have success? When they can advocate for themselves, that can really be beneficial for them in the long term. So you don't have to do it right now, but take some time to dive into social media. See if you can find different accommodations or modifications that other people share. Uh, there are some really cool accounts that you can follow, obviously ours at CSULBAPE uh, or mine, Dr. Amanda Young, Dr. Underscore Amanda Young. Uh, lots of different great accommodations and modifications that people share um, in our APE world. So take some time to look and see what all is out there. Next up, we think about assessments. So to be a highly qualified APE teacher, you have to know how to assess your students. We assess them for service qualifications and report writing. So you've got to have knowledge of a variety of assessment tools from preschool through adulthood. And know that no single test exists that's going to meet all your needs. There's not one perfect assessment that's going to be perfect for everyone or everything or every situation. That's why there's so many different ones. You have to start with a standardized assessment unless the IEP team decides otherwise. And then you also need to include informal and alternative assessments. And there are benefits to both, right? We need the standardization to see what our students qualify for or to see if they qualify for our services. And then we need more information than that. So we get that from those informal observations or assessments and alternative assessments like watching our students on the playground or doing some kind of checklist or rubric to see where they are performing. Then we need to work on effective report writing. So this is something that we can never get perfect at because reports change and students are different. To be a highly qualified APE teacher, you have to be effective in report writing. And that doesn't mean that you're copy and pasting goals from one student to another. Because when we do that, we're really saying like, eh, it doesn't really matter what this kid can do individually. We're just going to pull this goal from our goal bank and make it meet the needs of our students, right? So we want to be effective in our report writing to make sure that we're writing everything crystal clear for our parents to understand, for the diagnosticians and the case carriers to understand what's happening in our reports. We want to write professionally. So that's kind of why we started using APA formatting in this class and in other classes that you are in, because it's going to help you be a more effective writer. When you take the time to think about your formatting, to make sure your grammar is correct, you're going to use that in your report writing. The more you write, the better you're going to get at it. And we want our results from our assessments 
to help us determine effective placement and instruction, right? Because what happens in our assessments is going to help us understand what our students need to be successful. And that includes the placement and instruction. So remember, there's not just one assessment that's going to work. There's tons of different choices. So at the preschool level, we've got LAMAP, APEES, Hawaii, Peabody, Brigance. For fundamental motor skill, we've got TGMD, APEES Elementary, C-TAPE. For middle school, we've got the BOT, the Fitnessgram, the Brockport, the AMSAT, the APEES Secondary. For low incidence disabilities, we've got Project Mobility, CLASS, MATP. Okay, and again, these are all different assessment options. We are not saying that these are all standardized because there are many on here that are not standardized, but these are going to give you a good sense of what your students can do, okay? Shout out to Adrian. If you're like, I have no idea what assessment to use. There's a really great assessment decision tree. Um, Adrian's collecting data for, for Capstone about um, people's perception, APE teachers' perception of this assessment decision tree. Adrian, you should probably send this out to our students um, so that they can also take the survey. But really cool website to help you determine what is an appropriate assessment tool for whatever scenario you're going through. There's also a list of assessment options down here whoops, that Dr. Bittner and I put together for NICPED. So that'll bring you to the NICPED uh, website and you can see a bunch of different assessment, assessment options that you have available. And then what do we do with those assessments or with that information, right? So we want to provide data-driven instruction. So we have to assess, we have to analyze, and then we have to put that into action. So everything that we do should come from your assessment information, both standardized, formal, informal. So with that, we want to determine what is the least restrictive environment? So we think about the service delivery continuum. So are our students going to be the most successful in GPE? Maybe they're in GPE with APE consult. Maybe the GPE and the APE co-teach. Maybe there's some kind of unified or partners PE program, or maybe there's a self-contained APE class. So we have to think through this continuum. What is the least restrictive environment for each of our individual students? Where are they going to be the most successful? And we determine that, of course, from your assessment information and with your IEP team. Okay, next we wanna think about the legal knowledge of special education legislation. Okay, so what is special education law? Okay, IDEA, section 504, ADA, and then the tons of different lawsuits out there that um, kind of support what we do or what we should be doing. So, of course, for IDEA, that is our federal legislation, right? And they've come up with these mandates that we have to follow. So we have to follow FAPE, Free Appropriate Public Education, LRE, Least Restrictive Environment, Assessment, we have to have multiple forms of assessment, including one standardized and others to support our decisions. We wanna use person-first terminology, consider direct and related services. So we as APE teachers are direct instructional service providers because we are teacher certified and we teach to our standards. Okay, related services, are people who definitely want to work with speech, um, OT, PT, music therapy, whatever. Um, but we are different, so keep that in mind. And then, of course, the lovely IEP. So for the IEP, we have an IEP team, individualized education program. Each student that receives funding from IDEA and receives special education services has an IEP. Okay, so those IEPs are going to be this legal binding document that tells you everything that you need to know about the student, about their goals, about their present level performance, um, everything is going to be on there. And that document is created by this team. So in this IEP team, we want to have our special education teachers or providers someone who can interpret the evaluation results, whether that be a diagnostician. Um, others with knowledge about 
the, or special expertise about the child so they can, you know, they can bring in an advocate. Obviously, the parents and families are involved. Uh, sometimes transition services are included if the students are in that secondary level. We've got to have some kind of admin or school system representative. And then our GE teachers, general ed teachers, as well as the student when appropriate. I think the most important thing to remember for IEP teams is keep showing up because it can be so easy to just say, oh, I'm just the PE teacher. I'm just the APE teacher. You know, I only have a 10 minute report, so I'm just going to stay for 10 minutes and then I'm going to leave. Okay. When you do that, you're not a part of the team. So remember, we're talking about a highly qualified APE teacher. If you're going to be the PE teacher or the APE teacher that just says, here's my report, I'm going to go first, and then I've got to go teach a class. Okay, and I get that. That happens. I understand that you need coverage, but by law, you need to show up. So your school, your admin need to find a step for you so that you can attend this meeting. You will learn so much from everyone on that team to really benefit your student that it does not make sense for you to pop in for 10 minutes and then leave. So please, I beg of you, give APE teachers more, I don't know, more love by showing up. Show up, do it. Components of an IEP. So in that IEP meeting, you go over your IEP. The IEP is done ahead of time so that you can present all of your information. In that IEP, we've got our present level of performance. The fancy name for that is the present, present level of academic achievement and functional performance, the PLAF. Okay, that's what the students can do right now. Then you need to have measurable annual goals followed by benchmarks and short-term objectives. That will also have our statement of services and our schedule of services. So based on your assessment, based on the student's present level, based on your goals, how are you going to determine your service, right? A lot of people, a lot of districts just say, oh, twice a week, 30 minutes. Okay, how many people have APE services for twice a week for 30 minutes each, right? That's not individualized. So you need to come up with whatever it is, your schedule of services based on what the student needs, okay? Your IEP will also potentially include transition services. For example, when a student is transitioning from preschool into elementary, elementary to middle, middle to high school, high school to transition. And then we do an, so an initial evaluation to get the student qualified for services. We'll do a reevaluation as needed. So every year we meet as a team and kind of think through and talk about how, you know, progress on goals for the year. And then you'll have a triennial. So every three years, you'll do a full blown assessment for your student. So when we think about writing objectives, okay, you hopefully will take the assessment course. And in that you will go over writing goals and objectives. But just to touch on it, we want to make sure we remember the A, B, C, and D of writing goals and objectives. So we've got the audience, the behavior, the condition and the degree. Okay, so an example, John with verbal prompts will catch using fully extended arms and fingers pointed towards the ball, a Nerf basketball that is thrown from 10 feet away four out of five times on two consecutive days by January 8th, 2021, okay? Uh, think about what kind of level of prompts that you will include. Uh, hopefully you're not in a district where they say that you can't use prompts in your goals, but prompts should be included as needed. All right, then we think about behavior management. So behavior management, we've got positive behavior interventions and support. This is this kind of eclectic approach where we wanna consider proactive methods. When we consider proactive behavior management, that will really help set us up for success. So that includes rules and routines and orientation. We wanna increase behaviors using the PREMAC principle, catch and being good, Hellison's model, TPSR, so that we can cut down on 
decreasing other behaviors. So here's some examples. We've got some expectations and rules. You know, at Cal State Long Beach, we love a good acronym, right? So APE rules, here's an example. We've got always listen to the teacher, play nice. Everyone can enjoy physical activity. We want to keep our rules positive. Always keep your rules positive. And then we have consequences, right? So we have negative consequences and we have positive consequences. If we've got negative consequences, you know, this is going to happen when our students are not following the rules. So maybe we give a verbal warning, we have them take a break, or maybe we have to talk to the classroom teacher. Then for our positive consequences, we think about high fives, verbal reinforcements, and privileges to really help promote that those ideal behaviors. Shout out to Paul Kim. Look at this. We've got a cool down chart. Okay, so here's an example a cool down center. Love a little ice cube. So our friends can choose one of these common choices to help you cool down. We can take five breaths. We can close your eyes for five seconds. Maybe we need to set a timer or count to 10. And then the students can come back to class when you feel calm and ready. Again, it's really important to have these things as visuals so that you can help the students understand, see, make choices, and that also the paraeducators can do that as well. Good job, Paul. Then we've got pre-mac principle. Okay, this is grandma's rule, right? First, eat your vegetables, then you get your dessert. So same thing in APE. First is our less preferred activity and then is our preferred activity. So for example, maybe first we're gonna do our warm up, and then we can play with the basketballs. Or first we're gonna do APE and then you can go back to class. Hopefully PE is the prefer preferred activity, but if it's not, you can definitely use this. Consider visual schedules. So a lot of our students are, um, are really benefit from a visual schedule. So for this example, we've got some picture cards of a warm up. listen to the teacher, throw the ball, catch the ball, flag tag. Okay, and then we're gonna check in and they get a green check mark every time they do what they're supposed to be doing. Um, sometimes they can be earning a reward when they're using this kind of visual schedule. Sometimes they just need it to follow along with the routine of the day. Uh, here's some other examples. So we're working for Play-Doh. So we've got to earn five hats. If, we're, if we've got our eyes on the teacher, if we're listening, if we have a quiet mouth and quiet hands, every time we see those behaviors, we can give them a little hat. And then hopefully after they earn five hats, then they get to play with Play-Doh. So you want to consider your time, right? Is it worth it to give up two minutes at the end of class to let kiddos play with Play-Doh? If you get, you know, 28 minutes of physical activity, absolutely. Um, maybe their, their reward is going to be something outside of class. That's fine too. But don't be afraid to use your class time to provide those rewards because they're immediate. Another option, you can do tap-ins and tap-outs. So again, a good old Long Beach State uh, visual here. We want to see how our students can check in. How did they do today? Uh, students are going to be brutally honest. So they're going to tell you, I did a great job, or I need to keep on trying, or maybe I need more effort. Um, most of the time, they're very honest. If not, then you can have those conversations. And that really kind of ties into that teaching personal and social responsibility. Like, did you do a good job today? Maybe we need to, you know, work on that again and be able to talk through what that looks like. Then we think about collaboration and consultation. So we are not just a direct service provider. Yes, we are a direct service provider, but we're not alone, right? So to be a highly qualified APE teachers, we've got to think about what skills we need, right? We need respect. We need to communicate and work effectively with others. We need to have willingness to share and listen and learn from others. We need to have effective public relations, right? You have to be able to work with your team. So that could include the special ed teachers, OT, PT, SLPs, paras, families, all of those people, students, of course, right? And we do that through assessment, behavior management, social skills, academic goals, everything that we need to be a highly qualified teacher. Uh, one of the final projects that you're going to do in this class is a collaboration project. So you're going to come up with this idea on how you can collaborate with someone else. And what does that look like? And how is your student going to benefit? 
So many times we think of APE teachers on our own little island. And yes, we are on our own little island a lot of the time, but you're not alone. So make sure you are putting in time and effort to reach out to those other people to know that you're on the same team. Maybe you've got a student that has some pretty challenging behaviors. And for some reason, it only happens like when you're transitioning or whatever it is. Talk to your special ed teacher. Talk to the parents. See what's going to help your student be more successful in your class. Assistive technology. Okay, we've got to think about how are we going to use technology in our classes? So we should have a comprehensive knowledge of the multitude of technology available to increase access to student learning. So for assistive technology, maybe we're looking at mobility and equipment devices. So for that, we should be working with our PTs. Uh, we want to look at specialized sports equipment, communication devices, working with your SLPs. Maybe your students have a tablet. Maybe you have a tablet. How are you going to use that in your class? Are you using Lucky's data collection for TGMD? Um, and then again, of course, uh, your IEPs are going to be on this web-based program. So you've got to know technology so that you can you know, present your information, so you can keep your data, so you can help your students be more successful. There's tons of technology that's going to be integrated into your classes. A couple examples to think through, maybe you're going to use the Exercise Buddy, which is an app um, specifically for students with autism to help them uh, track their fitness and do different workouts. We've got ChoiceWorks, so that's a really nice um, option. Spark It Kids, love these video modeling. This is great for students to be able to kind of see kids moving. Um, NFL Play 60, they've got this little avatar. It's really motivational for our kiddos. This could be used as like homework. So, you know, helping students remember to be physically active outside of our classes. Um, so lots of technology to really support what we do. And then we think about specialty equipment, right? Examples not limited to a slow-mo soccer ball, a beat baseball, a bowling ramp, a Ripton walker. Okay, so lots of different high and low tech items to help our students be successful. Here's some examples. This is a beep baseball, uh, just a soccer ball here. We've got a lightweight soccer ball, a slow-mo so slow soccer ball, and a beach ball connected to some scarps. So lots of different options. Um, again, think back to those modifications. How can we modify the equipment? to help our students be more successful. All right, advocacy and inclusion. Did you know most students with disabilities, 92% at the elementary level and 88% at the secondary level are educated in GPE classes with students who do not have disabilities, okay? So most students receive some kind of general PE or are in some kind of general PE class. Remember, we only provide whatever minutes our service is required, but those kiddos still have to meet those 200 minutes every 10 days in elementary and 400 minutes every 10 days in secondary. So think about this. These kiddos are in GPE. Is this inclusion? What do you think? Okay, so we have to remember, inclusion is one of the most confused and misused terms in physical education. Inclusion is not dumping students with disabilities into GPE without support or forcing the students to fit in the existing curricula. Okay, what most people believe is inclusion is really technically integration. So integration is when we place all students, regardless of their ability, into GPE without support or consideration. Students are expected to fit in. So this happens a lot of times, right? A lot of those GPE teachers are not provided support to include our students with disabilities. Correct inclusion would be when we educate all students, regardless of their abilities, in an environment that provides support and accommodation for all students to both be challenged and successful, okay? That is successful inclusion. And it's really hard to do this well, but you need to know the difference. 
Uh, consider an Ability Awareness Day. So there's lots of different ways that we can help everyone understand disability or ability awareness. Um, you could do these kind of like in my shoes days where maybe you are, you know, moving around a space using a wheelchair um, or maybe you have a blindfold on. Okay, there's pros and cons to these kind of days because sometimes people with disabilities don't like when other people are kind of taking on their disability because it's it's fake. So there's definitely pros and cons to this pro because it helps you understand kind of what's going on. Con, we have to be really kind of mindful of the people with these disabilities and what their life is like. Then we've got Paralympic School Day curriculum. So really cool um, resources on the Paralympics website. You can put on this whole Paralympic day to kind of introduce what are the Paralympics? What are disability sports? Um, what about people with disabilities? There's a nice uh, podcast, thanks to Dr. Scott McNamara on a Paralympic School Day, um, a new way to grow disability awareness. So the more we do things like this, the more we can help support our students with disabilities and bring advocacy to an awareness to the rest of the school. Um, I'm sure most of you or a lot of you do some kind of Olympic, you know, curriculum. Maybe when the Olympics are in town, maybe we're going to do a track and field unit. Um, I challenge you to also pull out the Paralympic school day, right? Paralympic um, activities. Maybe you're doing a sit volleyball lesson in addition to your volleyball lesson or to, you know, the GPE volleyball lesson. So try to integrate these things into your teaching so that they just become part of the norm. And it really helps support our um, peers with disabilities. Reverse inclusion. So this is the process of including GPE students in AP for a set period of time to help those students with disabilities access the PE standards. Um, think about ability awareness, right? 10 months a year or 180 days. We want to be highlighting ability all of the time, right? Not just one day. Um, quick note about reverse inclusion. If you are the APE service provider and you take students into your class that are not on your caseload, you have to have another teacher there to serve as the teacher of record because those students without disabilities are not on your caseload. So you cannot be responsible for those students. Um, sometimes this happens when you can co-teach with a GPE teacher uh, or the special education teacher. Maybe the special ed teachers has a class of 10 students and eight of them are on your caseload. Maybe if that teacher agrees to go with you, you can take all 10 and um, do your AP services that way. Uh, another thing about working or integrating GPE students into your APE classes is that there needs to be some kind of training. Uh, shout out to Dana, who did her Peer Buddy capstone project. Uh, Dana, hopefully you can tell us a little bit more about Peer Buddies and what that looks like. Uh, be an advocate, right? So think about how are you advocating for your students with disabilities? Maybe you're a member of the Community Advisory Council. Maybe you can help families connect or you, maybe you connect with other parents. Uh, think about the regional centers that are around you, the speak out days that, uh, that people participate in. Inform parents of different uh, information like dear colleague letters, if you know a family is uh, questioning services or, or something like that, then provide resources for your families. Okay, uh, here's a, a lovely example posted on the good old Facebook. Um, so we've got, you know, our student with disability uh, over here on the field and then way across the way is the rest of the class, right? So this is not inclusion, right? Because we want our students to be included with everyone else. So think through what that looks like and how you can advocate for change at your school, right? If you see something that's wrong, you can't really be mad about it unless you do something about it. And that doesn't have to be ugly and it doesn't have to be pointing fingers. Be a part of the solution. Go up to that teacher and say, hey, I noticed the student is over here. Let me see if I can help you come up with some ideas on how to include them, right? 
be an advocate because you know better than the other people, right? You know APE. You know how to adapt and accommodate your students. So use what you know and help other people understand that too. And then think about community and family resources. So how are you going to effectively communicate with families? Are you going to be the phone call teacher? Are you going to be an email teacher? Um, maybe you're going to introduce yourself through a class letter or a website or, you know, a Google classroom. Maybe you're going to have families fill out a questionnaire. Uh, maybe you send behavior notes home. Definitely provide progress reports. Maybe you have a monthly newsletter. Um, and again, attend those meetings, right? There are some really nice transition resources here that you can share with families. I encourage you to take time to communicate with families. Families are not going to know who you are, except for, you know, that short amount of time that you sit in an IEP meeting every, every year, unless you make an effort. Now, it takes time and energy and effort to really talk and, you know, build a professional relationship with families, but it's something that needs to be done. So take the time. And again, thinking about behavior management, don't just reach out to those families when their child is doing something inappropriate or um, negative. So make a point to, you know, catch them being good. Send home those letters of, hey, your, you know, your child had a great day today. Here's what they did. Um, think about how you can include those families and communication to really kind of establish that rapport with your families. And then think about culturally, culturally responsive pedagogy, right? When you say, I don't see color, it's like saying, I don't see your culture. So be mindful of that and all of the students that you teach. How can we as APE teachers show culturally responsive pedagogy? Think about your units, right? Maybe we're going to include some kind of cultural dances or different games and activities to really support our students and their culture. And now this also includes disability culture, right? So maybe we've got a student that has um, a visual impairment or is blind, and maybe we want to introduce a game of beat baseball or goal ball to really kind of advocate for their culture and their disability. So consider that. Think about your instruction, right? Provide demonstration leaders. Make sure everyone is involved in your teaching, in your leading. Um, and then posting pictures and posters on the wall. Make sure that they're culturally responsive and um, include everyone. And then thinking about being a culturally responsive teacher and economically disadvantaged students, right? Maybe you keep extra supplies for your students who might need them. If that's, you know, tennis shoes or socks or a t-shirt so that they can participate in PE safely. Um, and on this, ask for donations, right? These do not have to come out of your own closet. There are tons of people that would give you some extra sneakers or socks or t-shirts that they have in their you know pile to donate. If there's any computer-based homework, this is important. Make sure that students have access to a school or library computer if they don't have one at home. Or maybe that means you're gonna print out um, a copy or something so that we're making sure that all of our students can access whatever it is that you're assigning. And provide opportunities for free physical activity before and after school and consider transportation. So maybe think about sharing resources of, you know, open gym time at a local park or an inclusive playground in, in the neighborhood. Um, so think about figuring out those resources and be able to share that with your families. And finally, professional development and leadership. To be a highly qualified APE teacher, you need to consider professional development because what we teach you now today is going to be out of date in 5, 10, 15 years. So consider joining or volunteering for professional organizations. And that might include SCAPE, the State Council for Adapted PE, maybe CAPERD, our California Association for Health of Physical Education, Recreation, and Dance. Uh, come to the National APE Conference. Hopefully many of you will be joining us there in Burbank in November. Uh, and then Shape America, the Society for Health and Physical Education. Set some professional goals to grow as a teacher, right? Stay current. Um, obviously, you can follow us for different trends. 
uh, see what's going on, what we're teaching. Obviously, social media, right? You can read journals, APAC, Palestra, Teaching Strategies, and Jokeboard, okay? Be willing to grow and open to change and new ideas because what you learn today is going to be out of date in a couple of years. So stay current with what's going on. And this is going to be you, right? You are going to be juggling a multitude of things to be a highly educated or a highly qualified educator, but you can do it. It'll take practice. It'll take time. It'll take questions, but you can do it. I believe in you. All right. Now that's our lecture for today. So if you've got questions, feel free to send me an email. If you'd like some clarification on anything, I'm happy to chat about it. Um, I've also got this link to our bowl of uncomfortable. So if for whatever reason you want to submit a question and you don't want to talk about it, or you don't want to ask me directly, you can fill out this form and I will go through them when we meet again for class. So Thank you for your time. I hope you have had a wonderful time listening to this lovely lecture about being a highly qualified, adapted physical education teacher. Hopefully these um, tips and tricks will kind of get your mind thinking and really kind of help you assess who you are as an educator and what you need to do to kind of step it up a notch. So, all right. Hope you all have a wonderful rest of your day and I'll catch you later. See ya.